Oh, 2020, what a year it's been. I think what triathlon has taught me is just to be myself. There's something about being the one who knows where you're going that is really empowering. So much of women's rights are tied up with women's sports. I was 54. I had a kidney transplant. If I can do it, surely you can do it. Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, and I am here with my co-host, fellow professional triathlete, Haley Chura. Haley, for our loyal listeners who have been listening in the last couple of weeks, we need the update. How is the mouse situation over in Bozeman? Alyssa, I'm so glad you asked, and I'm so happy to say that we found the hole. We found the hole where they were getting in through the crawl space. I did end up calling an exterminator, having pest control out. Um, it was the hourly rate on that was not good because I think he found it in about 10 minutes. <laughs> I still had to pay for the whole thing, but well worth it because we had another snowstorm roll in this past weekend. Temperatures dropped and I have not had any mice inside my house or in my garage. So probably worth every penny finding that hole. And um, yeah, it's been, I've been sleeping a lot better, but Alyssa, I do need to say that in a, a show of solidarity, Lindsay Glassford, our editor and show producer, messaged us on Slack today telling us that she had a mouse in her garage. She saw it while she was riding the trainer, which is, of course, my worst nightmare. And Lindsay impressively finished her ride. Like she said that she was beating off the mouse with a ski pole, but she did finish her ride and she survived. She's still alive. She set some traps and um, now we, we can commiserate about mice, mice in our, in our training spaces. It's, it's not, it's this time of year, but it's not fun. I just really hope that iron women is not the common link here because I would like to keep my life my mouse free at this point. I have enough going on. So if we can, um, just, you know, not that I want you guys to have more problems, but hopefully this is like the downward, you know, I don't know if it's in her garage too. I feel like that should be pretty straightforward to hopefully nip this, the mouse issue for Lindsay in the bud. And then I'm just, yeah, I'm hopeful it doesn't keep spreading through the live feisty community. And then I have to come next week and tell you about my mouse horror stories. (laughs) I hope so too, Alyssa. I hope we're done, but um, yes, good luck to Lindsay. And thank you for sharing your story. I love it. Then I don't feel so alone in the world, but what's new with you? Anything going on in Virginia? Well, Haley, I mentioned this towards the in the outro, I think, last week when we said that we had Mel McQuaid on for this week's episode as she does a lot of off-road racing as well. And I mentioned that I have recently got a mountain bike and have been doing a little bit of mountain biking. And I, I've, I've been mountain biking twice now, Haley. I've made three like dates to mountain bike. And two of the three times I actually rode the bike. The third time I decided I'd prefer to just sit down and talk to my friend instead. So that's what we did for 90 minutes instead of actually riding. And that was lovely as well. Um, and it's because like mountain biking, I'm I'm having a blast doing it. I love I love the it way more than I thought I would. Um, but it I'm not yet at a point where like I feel 100 percent safe when I'm doing it. And so it requires like a lot of energy to do. It's just a lot of my focus and like, yeah, energy is going towards like just being aware of like what I'm doing and like what I'm heading towards and, and, and right. So, um, it's not something where I feel like I'm at the point where 
like a trail run. I could just like go trail running and like forget about life for a while and like, woo, like have fun. Mountain biking is not that way for me yet. And, you know, um, but it is way more fun. It's like a ton of skills to learn, which I'm really loving that kind of thing right now. Um, it's it's definitely like wear, hard. Are you wearing like elbow pads, knee pads, like a mega helmet? Out there, I want to. I, I actually think I want to do. I do think I. Apparently, those like, I've looked into this a lot and I talked to a lot of people. Apparently, you know, I was kind of joking, like, do I need a helmet with a visor, right? Like, but that, I guess apparently that is like helpful for mountain biking. So my mountain biking friends were like, yeah, you should you should definitely get a visor. But I was what is the visor? Too, like, it helps with sun protection or mm, dirt and I protection. Think, like, like when what it's is, raining. What is the visor? To like, because you're not always wearing, like people sometimes wear clear sunglasses and stuff, but you're not, you know, always wearing sunglasses. And then I think, so I think the rain and like elements and tree branches and things like that, it helps. Oh, tree um, branches. But um, I also have been trying to figure out if I, I'm just going to be obviously fully wearing my like smash kits but I did kind of wonder if I need to like put a flannel like button down over my smash kit or something and like try and figure that out but I don't think I'm quite to that level of any sort of mountain biking where I really I think I just stick out and it's very clear that I really am not sure what I'm doing anyway um but I do you know the full facial helmet does seem appealing to me because I do I have that like after crashing on the road before and my face being pretty banged up you know, I really don't want to find out what it's like to do that against a tree. So I'm I'm looking into the full facial. But I guess that's something you wear when you're doing like downhill specific mountain biking, which is definitely not something I'm interested in. That is going way too fast and like way too scary. So um, I might just be that person who does it and wears. I mean, you can wear what you want. So I might just wear it because it makes me feel better. I'm all for the wear what you want. And I I love bright kits. I love safety. I'm all for this, Alyssa. Do your what you feel best in and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um, and if they do, you can send them to come swim with me. <laughs> and I'll make them feel bad. No, that's Perfect. what I always but tell Haley, myself. It's kind of funny because I've been watching some I've been, <laughs> I've been watching some YouTube videos. Because, of course, you know, you, like, get a mountain bike, you, you see the Instagrams, you're like, I can, like, learn to bunny hop a log, right? Like, just clearly I can do this. And so I watched so many YouTubes, like, over and over and over. And I'm like, oh, the first thing, you just lift up the front, and then you just lift up the back, and then you just lift up the front and the back, and boom, you're, like, over the log. And it's just so wild. Like, I get onto the bike, and then I'm like, there's a stick. Like, I can't even – I'm, like, afraid to even ride over the stick. So, um, you know – I don't know. It's it's fun and it will be fun to learn the skills associated with it. But, um, you know, and I am looking at maybe doing some exterior racing when racing begins. So I think that would be fun to do, especially before, you know, I I'm done with triathlon. So try something new. But um, but yeah, so that's kind of keeping me busy. It's a good time of year to be doing that as well here. Um, we are getting some nice mild days and um, the fall weathers. It's nice to be out on the trails doing something, you know, I'm not running a ton. So it gets me out in the woods more. Well, this is definitely the episode to be inspiring you to get out in the woods because Mel McCoy, as you mentioned, is has she she excels at it all off road, on road, everything. But we have that we have that interview coming up. But first, Alyssa, are you excited about this Sunday? The Outspoken Women in Triathlon Awards. You are nominated for Athlete of the Year. It's happening this Sunday, November 15th at 4 p.m. Pacific. That's 5 p.m. Mountain, 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern time. 
Uh, did you, are you signed up? Are you going to be able to attend? I believe I will be there, Healy. So I am super excited. I think it'll be a fun night. Maybe I'll like dress up a little for awards. You can like dress up, right? I haven't. I feel like twenty twenty. Definitely like the, dress up. Yeah, like the. I mean, reasons to like get dressed up at all right now are like pretty minimal. So I feel like if I can dig up something good out of my closet, I'll see what I can find, or maybe something not good, and I'll just like throw on a fun outfit. I don't know. Where? But yes, where your I will, new mountain bike helmet? I, I will be attending. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to be a distraction, but um, no, I am planning to be there. And if others want to join us, they, it's on Zoom this year and you can head to OutspokenSummit.com slash awards and just sign up there and then you'll get the Zoom link so that you can join us 7 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, November 15th. It's going to be a super fun time. And Marisol Casado from World Triathlon. I, is that that's what we call it now the ITU is now world triathlon she is presenting the awards so big big deal and um maybe she'll be calling out your name otherwise there's like 13 11 13 I should know this nine many many award categories and I'm excited to see who wins all of them really really great nominate nominated women um I'm, I'm very 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 excited to see many of the categories like who wins because I, I can't it's hard to pick Haley, if Zoom was like a little bit more, um, I don't know, maybe they can do this, but if Zoom was like a little bit more sophisticated, we could do it like, you know how the Academy Awards or the Oscars, it's like they have the camera on everyone who's like waiting for their name to be called and then like, you know, so it's like it would be so fun if they could like put the people who are waiting (laughs) as the announcing and like those are the Zoom screens that are on right then. Um, but I don't, don't worry guys. I don't think that's actually going to happen, but I'll leave my camera still on be me cool. the whole time they're announcing the award. So you guys could, if you feel like focusing on what my face looks like, then please go ahead. I know. Wait, Alyssa, are you like, did you prepare a speech just in case? Like who's playing the music? I mean, I'm not involved in this. Is someone going to play music in case you start talking too long? I love this idea now. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to have to maybe I'll have to send Sarah a note just to make sure I know, um, know the the process and make sure I send my speech to the teleprompter in case it's needed. So, (laughs) (laughs) yes, Um, no, this is going to be a good time. Good time. Again, OutspokenSummit.com slash awards if you want to attend this Sunday, November 15th, 4 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Mountain, 6 p.m. Central. 7 p.m. Eastern. If you're outside the U.S. or if you're in Alaska, you're going to have to look up your own time zone. (laughs) Haley, I am continuing my Zwift racing series as well. I've been, I think I'm down like three or four races. I'm getting better. So you can actually see my improvements through the like racing scene and the rankings, which is very exciting for me. And part of my Zwift racing. So like, I don't know if I said this in the beginning, but my races are in the afternoon, like 2.15-ish on Tuesdays, which is a very odd time for me to exercise. It's not something I would normally do, like wait all day until 2.15 to like hit a really hard workout. So I've come up with like a ritual to help me get ready. So like my morning is spent kind of working and doing errands if I need to or whatever, but then um, I have an early lunch and then I use my noon podium series as my little ritual to like help get me into like race hard workout mode. And I do the prime and I'm doing that probably um, about an hour-ish into before the race. Um, 
and that prime has I do the caffeinated version and it has the caffeine in it but it also has the BCAAs it gets me like feeling good and ready to be you know it's just kind of to like once I do that before all the hard sessions then my mind I like taste that and I'm like okay my body knows something hard is about to happen um and then I have successfully learned in the beginning of my Zwifting I was not skilled enough to be racing really hard and also drinking hydration I was like sweating so much and like I just couldn't even focus on anything because I had no idea what I was doing that I was going through these like efforts without drinking anything which was not ideal and I was like shelled for the days afterwards so I now am like really have fine-tuned my process so I can drink the noon endurance during it and then you know once I'm totally spent I have my little shaker of the recover get a quick snack and then I go do like a shakeout swim afterwards. So I've been using the podium series on my Tuesdays as like my new afternoon workout ritual. And it's actually made me embrace that like afternoon workout time because I, to be honest, it wasn't really my jam before this. That is a very, very strong endorsement for the noon podium series. <laughs> I um, I mean, I just feel like this is like uh, th- that that is perfect. Like if you have an afternoon race, but I feel like you could use it even for a morning race or you could use it for just any hard workout. I mean, I think it's like it's any hard workout, right? It's really where you're getting your heart rate up that you really want to use that that pre-workout prime during workout endurance, post-workout recovery, and and then go get your meal, like you said. But um, great flavors, great results. You are crushing the Zwift racing, I hear. So 30% off for all of our listeners who want to be like Alyssa and use the podium series, noon podium series, uh, for any hard efforts, noonlife.com. Use that code LIVEFEISTY, capital L, capital F, all one word, LIVEFEISTY, 30% off noonlife.com. And Haley, we don't have any new mailbag questions this week. If people want to send in mailbag questions, you can shoot them to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and we will answer them on an upcoming episode. Oh, but can we say who the winners or like we said last week, we had some good entries into our intro contest. So we asked people if they could name the five voices that are in our new intro. And we had a lot of great entries. One person, Shelly, got four out of five. Um, we gave it one more week and we got a couple more, but no one got five out of five. So can I like announce who the five are? Does yes. anyone care? Does tell anyone us. Want, do you want to know? Yeah, tell us. So in order, there are five. I had I had some people say that there were not five voices, and I I promise you there are five. It is Imogen Simmons, Laura Nadu, Sonia Wick, Bridget Quinn, and Julie MT Walker. So Again, if you want to go back and listen to that, uh, the intro, listen to those voices and then go listen to those episodes too. They're great episodes where we pulled out a couple of pearls of wisdom and, um, and we do thank those women for coming on the show and sharing that wisdom. And I'm glad now we get to hear it every single week. I love it. And I did enjoy, we have been getting some emails into the mailbag, um, just not some questions. So I appreciate the things that are being sent in, but for people that do have questions, you can keep them coming in to, to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, I think we've teased it enough that we have Mel McQuaid on the podcast today. We talk with Mel. She is a Canadian professional triathlete. She's been in the racing scene for the last 20 years. So she talks to us about just kind of what it's like to still be here and still be super relevant, still racing her best in her late 40s. Um, and just to give people an idea of kind of the wealth of knowledge and experience she brings to the conversation, her range in racing is pretty unreal. Like looking at her accolades, she has, she won a 5150, which for people that's like a 
short course Olympic series race, right? So she's a 5150 champion. She has also been top three at Ironman or Ironman 70.3 17 times. She is a six-time pro Ironman 70.3 champion. And then she also is a three-time Xterra world champion, two-time ITU cross triathlon world world champion. So on and off the road, Mel has been like a force to be reckoned with for the last 20 years. And she not only has been racing super strong, but she also has kind of made space for herself to use her voice as an advocate for women in sport. And she talks to us kind of about everything. Um, and it's a super fun conversation. So we will have that with Mel after a word from our sponsors. Okay, Alyssa, it's quiz time. Please tell me which noon hydration product I should be drinking during the following scenarios. First up, a two-hour hard bike workout. Ooh, I'd go with noon endurance because you need some carbs for that. All right, second question. An easy shakeout swim. Probably some noon sport. Keep it light. What about working from home? Noon sport yet again. Final question. A three-day, 16-hour, fastest known time attempt on the 46 high peaks of the Adirondacks. I'd definitely say noon instant for sure. All the electrolytes, please. Ding, ding, ding. You got them all right, Alyssa. And I think it's obvious there's a noon hydration product for every time in life. Iron Women podcast listeners can try them all and get 30% off using the code livefeisty at noonlife.com. Again, that's livefeisty, all one word with a capital L and a capital F. Use that code for 30% off any purchase at noonlife.com. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin, without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsold, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. You've heard Alyssa and I talk about how Form Smart Swim Goggles are revolutionizing swimming for well over a year now. With the holidays approaching, we can safely say that these are the ideal gift for any triathlete or swimmer in your life. If you or someone you know is looking to be more engaged during swim sessions and wants to take their swimming to new levels, check out Form Goggles at formswim.com or head over to their Instagram at formswim, one word, where they will be running seasonal giveaways, sharing holiday offers alongside all their great swim content. Hi, Mel. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. It's great to actually, I can actually physically see you guys. So it's so nice to see other professional women. Yay. I know, right? (laughs) These weekly chats have become like quite nice, especially through this year for Haley and myself, I think. And so 2020 brought on like a whole new twist for everyone, obviously, but even for you, someone who's been racing for the better part of the last like 20 years, right? So like the global pandemic was something you never had to deal with in your time racing yet. So First, tell us, what were your plans going into 2020? Um, I think my best laid plans for this year were to um, go to either St. George or Ironman Canada and qualify for Kona, because Kona is kind of the last thing I haven't actually done. Um, So 
ultimately that would be the the last goal that I'd like to just go to that world because I did pretty much every other one. Um, so that was originally what the plan was, was to kind of just knock out that last race that I haven't done. Um, obviously, like there's a million Ironmans that I could still go to, but it was more like what is the thing that I would like to have experience wise. And yeah, that didn't happen. And so were you kind of holding on to the dream that maybe this was going to be a short-lived, like, three-month situation? I know, like, especially in the U.S., the information we were getting a lot of times didn't make us realize necessarily the longevity that was going to hit. And so, like, you know, how did that kind of evolve through the year for you? Oh, no. When when I – pandemic means no way, Jose. Like, it means, like, you're done, right? Pandemic is not, like – is no. Our northern neighbors are <laughs> no. just so much smarter sometimes. <laughs> no. No, and actually, like, even for people that I was coaching, I was like, St. George isn't happening. Like, I'll just leave it in your schedule if you want. But you're not going to that. So I'm just going to go ahead and change your plan right now. And, and if suddenly that race happens, you can get really mad at me. But you're not going to St. George. The border is closed. You're not going anywhere anytime soon. And so... Yeah, no, I like I think really early on, I just said, okay, it's not happening. Um, I laughed and and anybody in my group will like, like tell you like how hard I laughed at people trying to replace swimming with like, you know, splashing in a bathtub, tying themselves to the wall, like all of that stuff. I was like, what are you doing? Like, that's not gonna help your swim strokes gonna be a disaster. Like, what are you thinking? So I was just like, okay, do what like like we can't start to lament and like look backwards at like what we were going to do and what we can't do the only thing we can do is kind of like look at just basically today and what can we do today because we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow like there is no planning right it was basically like let's just do right now what we can do and so my planning would end up being like you know like four to eight weeks of you know let's do a block of this and just keep, and then that black block turns into let's do a block of that. It was sort of like this very um, shorter term, live in the moment, like what are the opportunities now sort of thing, and which I, I don't think very often we do that. You know, that whole like, this this is our moment now, what can we do right now? And, and I think as the season sort of unfolded, I and you know, other people I coach just started to like, look at, okay, well, this is the year I can go camping for a weekend without a bike and do all these other things. And, you know, like really work on the fact that my shoulder doesn't move properly or, you know, just the, the basic things that we w- would generally just kind of gloss over because an event is coming at us and there's nothing we can do to stop that. Um, so yeah, it was just a really, definitely not the way that like, coaches or athletes want to approach a year which is more like you know like slow right down and and sort of not plan as far and I Alyssa alluded to your long career I do think you won your first pro race 20 years ago about which is incredible and also the range because we're not talking one kind of race here you've done it all you've done off-road mountain biking you've done on-road biking you've done short course triathlon you've done long course triathlon I mean you've won six 70.3s and three Xterra world championships I can't think of anyone who has that, that kind of resume so can you kind of walk us through this is a big question oh and you also won some virtual races this year I think gotta add those to your resume but um 
you know, the <laughs> pandemic, we, we got new experiences like Alyssa brought up. Um, so can you, this is again, like a big question, but like walking us through your career, did you, uh, did you think when you were off-road racing, I know there was a little bit of, there has been some overlap between your Xterra racing and your on-road 70.3 racing and Ironman racing, but was it ever like, it does seem like the early part was more off-road and then now it's evolved more to on the road. Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, like what most people don't know is that what, like the, the thing that got me into mountain biking was I went on a work term to Chicago. I was doing chemistry and biochemistry and I used to every four months go into a job that was related to my like area of study. And so I was working in Chicago in the winter um, that's horrible. <laughs> Chicago was so cold and I'm not used to that cold. And so everything, like I, I was still, I was totally into like exercising. Like I wanted, to, I was always injured all the time, but I, like, I wanted to be on the track team. I wanted to run and stuff like that. And so I'm in Chicago and I can't go outside and run. So I'm like using the Stairmaster in the, like my condo buildings, like exercise room and riding this like indoor bike for my exercising while I was, while I was there. And I met a girl through work who told me about an indoor triathlon. And so I went and did this indoor triathlon um, in Chicago and came back that year um, and said, okay, I'm going to be a triathlete. And so originally I bought a a bike and I was going to do triathlons. And before I ever did like any triathlons, I'm pretty sure I might've done one local one, but before I got, got anywhere with this whole triathlon idea, I got headhunted um by the like provincial cycling coach because she saw me riding and said hey you know we're gonna go to the Canada Games which is like a developmental sort of road cycling event and that year I ended up being whisked away to go road cycling you know like I went and I did the national championships and got like slaughtered and then I did like like the provincial championships and I did this local race it sort of like gave me a whole platform of support to develop as a cyclist. And so originally I wanted to do triathlon, but I didn't get anywhere with it because immediately I went into um, cycling, met a guy, he was into mountain biking. The road thing was nowhere near as fun as the mountain bike scene. And so that like that year of road cycling just gave me a base to go and make the national team for the, for mountain biking the next year. And then the rest of, then it just kind of snowballed from there where our mountain bike team at the time did a significant amount of road racing as training. So it was really easy for me, like in 2000, I didn't make the Olympic team for mountain biking. So that year I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try for the road team and made the road team because, you know, as a mountain biker, I went and raced Redlands every year. I went to tour of America. I did tour of Holland. I did like all these like really big European road races. So it's not like I didn't have experience racing on the road. North America was largely crit racing, Crit racing is mountain biking, essentially. Like, so there was a lot more overlap um, between what I had in terms of a skill set and going to road. Um, and so in 2000, I went to the Road Worlds, and they were in France, in, in uh, Plouay. And uh, I think it was Plouay, yeah. And the race course is like, there's, like, UCI Worlds is a big deal. Like, it's like big, it's like the Tour de France one day right so it was like very exciting to be there all these like famous cyclists and you know the devil guy was there a picture of me with the devil guy and uh all that stuff's happening i start and like i'm not the important person on the team because i've like 
I don't even know. I just made the team. I wasn't like the leader or whatever. So I get, so they, they grid start you, right? So like the good people are way at the front and like the less, like the less important you are to the team, the further towards the back you are. So of course I'm further towards the back. And I, like we start at 800 meters into the race, there's like a 90 degree, like the, of course it's Europe. So it's on a goat path. And so you, it basically cuts left. The whole field goes down in front of me. Like I didn't really crash. Like I kind of just like rode around everyone, but by the time we all got going, the race is like so far down the road and I haven't even been riding my bike for a minute, right? Like I've not been on my bike for a minute and I'm already out the back chasing. Never got anywhere near the field. Like I was just riding around in France for hours by myself. Like, do I get cut in these kind of races? Cause like, I don't know what's going to happen here. And so then I was like, forget this. Like, this is not, this is not my future. This is not what, I have no control over this stuff. Like, no. And so I went to, I came back from that race and uh, I was invited by the organizers of the x Tour to come and try their event. And so I, I hadn't swam at all in like 10 years. Like I swam in high school for two years and that's all the swimming I actually have, but I hadn't swam at all. And so I um, came from France straight to Hawaii. They put they put me and some other members of the Canadian National Mountain Bike team up in the hotel there because they just want to have like a pack fill probably. They're like, let's just have some people come out and embarrass themselves at our race, like see what happens. And uh, and I just like annihilated the field on the bike. I had like an eight minute lead, and it's a ten k run. And you think eight minutes is insurmountable? As, as it turns out, when you run as, <laughs> as I did at the time, it was surmountable. And so I got run down and, uh, but I ended up second and like, so, so that was like a lark to go to X Terra world. I was like, Oh, well, this sounds fun. Who doesn't want to go to Hawaii? And then like, I, I come second, which was completely unexpected. And then I got this paycheck. And at the time it was six grand, like it was 8,000 to win then. And it was 6,000 for second and 6,000 might've been like, that might've been the most money I had ever accumulated in my, like my total earnings in my entire life up to that point, that probably exceeded how much money I'd ever made in my entire adult life in that one day. And I, and then I was like, and I got the same amount as the men. And then I was just like, what am I even doing in cycling? Like I'm done. And it was pretty much like, as soon as I went home, I had already signed a contract with a, a women's road team. Um, I was like, okay, well, I have to be able to do that and do Xterra because there's no way my teacher's in cycling. Um, and it turns out it certainly wasn't. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of like how that all evolved is that um, I had a lot of opportunity in cycling and I have a lot that I can um, attribute to being part of the national team program because in terms of development, having that support and like the coaching available, like none of that would have, been available to a to a university student who had no idea how to find it there and there was also like there wasn't this like endless amount of information on the internet on how to train that athletes have now like you would just have no idea what you were doing at the time so if I didn't have that start in cycling I never would have been able to figure out what to do in Xterra because that's and then at the time there was no coaches for Xterra either which was what kind of got me learning how to coach myself at that time because you know I did work with a co a triathlon coach for the first year and it was like really the worst year of my entire career because they just didn't understand how mountain biking I think and um and then and then just having the the whole experience in Xterra to be a real professional 
you know, as a, as a female athlete at the time, I never really felt like we were as like treated as, as like, we were definitely second class citizens to the men. There's no questions, particularly on the road in mountain biking as well. Like, even though like a lot of the really like, um, you know, builders of the, the sport of triathlon, like Allison Sider and, you know, like think of like some of the, you know, like Julie Furtado, these, these athletes that were like outstanding and really pushed like what it was to be a mountain biker. They still were always secondary to Tomac and all, like all the men that have much bigger names. Cause just cycling has that inherent bias sort of like, unfortunately almost built in now. Um, Whereas I came to triathlon, it was just equality. Or, I mean, I certainly, like, I, I think we can argue that there's still some room for more equality, but in terms of prize money and in terms of opportunity at the time, um, it was head and shoulders above what I experienced in, in cycling. And so it was just really easy to, like, go, okay, I love riding my bike, and, and that was my original passion, and I still really love it. I love the opportunity to, like, do what I love and be a professional. And so then it was like really easy for me to choose um, Xterra. And then when I was in Xterra, it, it was, you know, I think that your journey in sport is always like uh, trying to achieve a level of mastery. And so you just want to keep getting better. And so I was like, okay, well, first, I, when I first came to Xterra, I was like a pretty good swimmer. I was a really good mountain biker. And I was kind of a fairly average runner. And then I kind of got better at both the swimming and the running. I got pretty good. And then I started to get like to the point where I was really just starting to try and get my running better. And, and one of my biggest weaknesses in running is how bad my ankles were. Like I just couldn't run downhill very fast. So that very often, like my running was good. My downhill running was bad. Um, but I, then we started to see the the 70.3 girls come in and like, like athletes that are phenomenal, like Julie Dibbins and, and, and those girls. And I started to see what they were able to do. And I just kind of was inspired to see if I could do that as well. And, and it became like, you know, like why stop at Xterra? Why not like try other, because before I came into Xterra, I went and did the provincial series, which was kind of like sprint triathlons and Olympic distance triathlons. And I won this series, largely on the fact that I could ride really fast. <laughs> but like, I thought that it made sense because I hadn't really done anything in my mind on the road to like make sure that I did something on the road before I finished like I kind of probably at the time thought I was going to do a year or two not like another 10 <laughs> so I was like oh I'll spend a year doing 70.3 10 years later I'm just still trying to maybe go to Kona but like that's sort of how it started was like it why stop here like why not push myself to like be a better triathlete and as I carried on and I got older and it, it like, it, I was like still in it. I was like, I'm just learning so much still. And, and that's one thing that I feel like, you know, even as an Ironman athlete, like I could never race long enough to learn everything I need to know about racing Ironman because every race is such an incredible experience in terms of, you know, well, sometimes it just shows you what doesn't work. And sometimes it really shows you what does. And I think as a coach, I just value that a lot. So, so that's what that range was like, it's just sort of like, hey, I, I'm kind of good at this. I'm interested in that. Let's go see if I can be good at that. Let's give it a go. Oh, well, now that I'm okay at this, let's try this. <laughs> so it just kind of snowballs. I had no idea too that like the it sounds like there's probably a pretty good like glory days time in Xterra where like the prize money was good like 
I mean, that I don't think is at those levels anymore. And so like did, you know, and you you were kind of seeing it from a business perspective as well, it sounds like when looking at cycling and then looking at Xterra being like, OK, well, this makes sense. Right. So did that happen as well with like looking at kind of the road versus Xterra stuff? Like was there kind of a transition there to continue like you know just making the best business decision you could as an athlete I think I think that I think that did happen but not really in the way like Xterra still has a pretty high like the prize purse for Xterra Worlds is still 20,000 so it's still really high right and it, it became somewhere in the 20s I think like I don't know the year I won in 2003 it was 25,000 so it was like there there definitely were really big years next Terra between 2003 and 2007. I think those were like the biggest years for that sport. And certainly like every race um, had, I think like 2,500 for prize money, but like I, there was actually sponsorship in the sport. So I was a salaried athlete to race just next Terra. There was no reason for me to leave the sport for a really long time. And then it just got to the point where I think it was 2011 when I had that major meltdown at Worlds where I like I kind of it was a combination of I think it was like most of it was in my head but um there was a little bit where if I didn't win a race then I did bad right like I couldn't come second I I couldn't have a race where like I was like there's other really good girls coming up like Leslie is really good there's good girls from Europe and and, and like, I, I had just come off this period where for like 10 years, I was first or second every race. Like it was just like that. And then when I started wanting to do some 70.3, I had some races where I wasn't hundred percent because 70.3 was kicking the crap out of me. And I like racing that on top of extra was very difficult and probably a really bad business decision, but I, I couldn't mentally handle the I'm not performing as well at Xterra while I'm trying to do something else. And I'm also getting this pressure where if I don't win, then I'm not doing well, which is stupid. Um, And so I just felt like it was time for me to start over and like be like, just leave the, like, I, I didn't want to, like, I felt like I was coming, like I was still doing really well, but I felt like they were basically saying that I was on my way out you know, because I wasn't winning everything. And so I thought, okay, fine. If I, if I'm not performing well enough for, for, I don't know who them even is. It, it, I'm just kind of trying to imagine what my mindset was like, like everybody thinks I'm like, I'm done in Xterra now when really I'm just doing other stuff as well. So I'm definitely not as good as when I'm focusing on it. So then I thought, okay, it, it's actually funny. It's like a good, a good comparison is in 2004, I went back to mountain biking while I was racing Xterra. And I was, I remember I was like trying, I was like, okay, maybe I can make the Olympic team because I did really well in sea otter. And I was um, like, I was kind of starting to think that, you know, maybe a, a trip back to the mountain bike land was a good idea at the time, because I had some really good mountain bike results in 2004 and 2003. And so I was, you know, in the van with the national team coach in Europe and we we're in Madrid some like for that world cup. And, uh, everybody else is like super focused on like what's happening in the race. And I'm like trying to fit a run in, right? Like I go off running somewhere in like Casa de Campo. And, uh, and then wait, like we do the race and I was average, like it's not, I didn't, I wasn't going to qualify for the Olympics, like coming, whatever it was, 30th or 38th or like I was average, like not terrible, but very average. And we're driving back and the, and the national team coach, I think it was Eric Vandenheim, 
he said to me, he's like, Melanie, how do you think you're going to do any of these things you want to do if you're trying to ride one horse, like one horse, no, two horses with one ass is what he said. That's how he said, yeah, you're trying to ride two horses with one ass. And I was like, yeah, I guess. So I, I got his point there, you know, like, and, and I could see because I was like in that group of, of athletes and I could just see how much focus they were putting into mountain biking that I clearly was not putting in. And so then, you know, we get to this Xterra 70.3 crossroads, right, where I'm trying to do both because I can't let go of Xterra because that's who I am. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm ever going to be able to do anything in 70.3, but I'm still trying to cling to both and not doing as well as I could in either. And that was 2012 that year I got injured as well. Um, and, uh, and so then I was just like, okay, you've got to let it go. You, you did lots and you like the, the whole reason I was doing 70.3 is that, um, I, I just didn't have as much to accomplish in Xterra anymore. And I had lots and a giant mountain in, in Ironman. Like I always said, I was never going to do any kind of Ironman, like running 21 kilometers seems like super far. 42 was like ridiculous. But I was like, I, I, I need this new challenge and stop being such a chicken shit and just friggin' go for it. Like, so, so anyway, so that's, um, that was that there, there, it was a, a lot of it in switching over was that the like, right, like having the challenge, the sport itself, um, it, I think the prize money, um, didn't become as challenging as it is today for another couple of years after that. So, um, and, and a lot of the problem is, is, is not the prize money itself. It's the structure of the prize money. Like the, they, they just went to a format where they were forcing athletes to travel all over the freaking world, like where the, your, your travel bill is like $80,000 for like a $10,000 overall prize purse. If they had made it, a much more targeted so athletes could race more locally kind of like pandemic friendly right like you're not going to go as far away then and they they made like fewer points count towards the overall they would have had a more competitive series and then it would have been more manageable for athletes to to do that um but but xterra has just been hit the same as 70.3 where i don't know a lot of athletes that are making salary in in ironman either now so i don't think that this the prize purse situation is that much different for either sport. It's just harder for, for people in Xterra because if you look at it from a marketing standpoint, um, and this is something that came up in Trek, which was a lot of the reason why I went to Ironman because they're like, you're on our triathlon team. Mountain biking isn't really a triathlon bike, <laughs> right? And, and so that um, that is exactly the problem for, for athletes in Xterra is that um, they don't fit the triathlon major market mold. So from a bike sponsor perspective, there's a lot more bike sponsors that make only road specific bikes that like, yeah, they want to market to triathletes, but they don't, they don't want to market a mountain bike to triathletes. So, so that like when Xterra and triathlon in general lost their print media exposure, that was really tough on Xterra athletes because we we got a lot of attention in triathlon specific media with images and name and stuff like that. And when that print media has gone away, now all of a sudden our like leg, like not so much legitimacy, but our vision like being visible 
in triathlon is harder because it just seems like it's not a triathlon when really it's the best triathlon there is. <laughs> so it sounds like you still have, you still love the off-road and, and maybe we could see some kind of resurgence now that we are seeing gravel bikes getting really popular. You know, people want to get off-road, get away from cars, try something new. The pandemic has given them maybe some time to get some, a few skills. Um, you know, maybe we could see some of those coming on. I do want to ask about Ironman in particular, because you mentioned like moving on to other challenges. And so I believe your first Ironman is 2015 Ironman Canada. You finished second on your debut, which is incredible. And, but then you didn't race an Ironman again for I think three years and you were in Wales and then 2019, you hit it hard. I think you did three Canada, yeah. Wisconsin, Arizona, like three in like yeah. a couple months. Like that's all like very, very close yeah. time frame. So, so what was that like the jump to Ironman and why, you know, was it like, Oh, tip, dip my toes in. Okay. I need to focus. And then 2019, you're like, okay, focus, let's get to Kona. Yeah. I, I, I think that 2019, I didn't actually think about going to Kona like until like really the end. Cause I always thought that I wasn't going to go because I'm not that great in the heat. And so I never thought it was my race. So I kind of never cared until all of a sudden I couldn't go, I guess. Um, so, <laughs> so that like Kona is more like a, a now it was like a, after Wisconsin last year, I was like, okay, that was a pretty good race. I, I, I want to have another really good race so that I can go to Kona and then I'm done. That was sort of how that sort of precipitated. In 2015, I did my first Ironman and I was pretty gung-ho to like hit it hard and I was going to go to St. George and like try to like hit the more Ironmans in 2016. But I actually like, like catastrophically destroyed my ankle in 2016. And so I had a trimalleolar fracture um, which actually the, like the quarterback for, who is it for Dallas? I think he just got a trimalleolar fracture too. So if you, Dak, if you, Dak Prescott, is, that, is that, yeah. Yeah. So if you Google his, watch his injury and you'll see what happened to me It is like, hey, so imagine your foot is not pointing, like it's not pointing in, it's kind of off your leg and pointing out, right? Like it's kind of like, uh, like that. Yeah, so I broke the my tibia, my fibula, and my lateral malleolus, and I tore my syndesmosis. So basically, my foot was my ankle was just done. How and did so, you do this? Running is that mountain how? biking? Mountain, mountain biking. biking. Yeah, and it was like the dumbest thing, like you know, like World Cups and like riding like in the bike park and all that. No, it was like riding down this dumb little thing, and I just slid out foot down in a weird way, and it just like clunked it right off my leg. <laughs> It was the dumbest thing. Yeah. But it was, it was like, I think like in hindsight, yeah, I, like I tried to, I had a contract, I had contracts that stated I had to do X number of races in the year to get paid. And so I was like pretty focused on getting back to racing because they weren't going to pay me unless I raced that year. So I went and I did like four seventy point threes when I, like, I couldn't run, like thinking I ran like 155 or something like that in Augusta. I think I, I, I got a stress fracture when I went to New Zealand to race that race, but I got it done because I do four. So I raced all the way up to November because I got injured in March and I raced all these races, had a stress fracture. And then in 2017, I was like, okay, I got to get right the ship here. 2017 wasn't much better. It took me a long, it took, it took a good two years to be able to run again after that. I'd like, I was at races, but I was average. 2017, I also had a, an episode with, um, a cardiac arrhythmia. So um, about t uh, with, because of my ankle, 
I took a whole bunch of ibuprofen after I did Augusta that year because my ankle like swelled up to like, it was huge. Every time I flew, it would swell up, but like just the running like those half, because I probably wasn't ready to be doing that much running. My ankle was swollen up. And so I got some advice to like knock down the swelling with NSAIDs. So I was taking Advil, right? And I don't take Advil, like I don't any other time. Um, But I was taking Advil at the time in conjunction with using um, Voltaren. Do you guys know what that stuff is? It's like an, it's a topical, like anti-inflammatory thing. So I would rub out uh, like ibuprofen on my big puffy ankle and I'd pound some Advil and they said, take Advil three times a day and like put the stuff on your ankles. And like, this is the only time I did this, right? So I did this for like three or four days after that 70.3 and I was training at the time. And sure enough, within like, within days of this. So I, like, I don't know what the exact time is, but I know what my dosages were going into this. I was run, uh, doing a bike workout, got off the bike, and I was going to go take my dog for a walk, and my heart rate wasn't going down. I was like, I've been done for like 40 minutes. My heart rate's still 180. This seems weird. You know, like, I, I jokingly text my partner, Mike, I'm going to walk Stevie. My heart rate's 180. If I don't come back, maybe come and find me. <laughs> you know, like, what is going on? Um, talk to my doctor. He's like, oh, that's weird. Like, just like, let me know if it like calms down by the morning. And then the next morning I woke up and like, I went to like, let my dog out and I got to the door and I passed out. I fainted. And then I got up again and I, I went back into the bedroom and like, I said to, to like Mike, um, I think I, I think I passed out and then I passed out again. Right. And so then he's calling the ambulance. He's like, what the heck is going on? I'm like getting in the shower, like, I got to have a shower and they're going to take me to the hospital. <laughs> so anyways, they, they, they found out that I had um, atrial fibrillation. So it's a, it's a non-life-threatening version. So it's the kind of the good kind to get. Um, only like if you have it chronically, then you can end up having a stroke, number one. And it's really not good. And like what I've learned in hindsight, like, like following up on this is that um, NSAIDs are really bad for endurance athletes, right? And so they are linked to these cardiac abnormalities. And so I like to tell this story as often as possible, because like, this did happen. Knock on wood, it hasn't happened since, but I, there's, I don't touch anything related to these NSAIDs. Like taking Advil and an Ironman to me, it sounds like, like the dumbest thing you could do because, you know, you're dehydrated and you're taking that, something that has definite effects on your heart. Um, so 2016, I broke my ankle. 2017, my heart went, went haywire. I went and started um, Arizona, but like I was so average. Like, like I, it, it feels like, and I dropped out of Whistler in 2017 as well. Um, and I was taking like this Voltaren for my ankle that whole year. And Whistler, I got on the bike and I was like pedaling, like I was pushing like, like 200 watts. My heart rate's like, you know, like 180 or something like that, when normally like my FTP is like 285, right? So like 200 watts should be like, like pretty casual Ironman pace and I'm blowing up. And then I like, I come around the corner and I said to Mike, I don't think I can even make it to Pemberton. Like I was just like, I was so exhausted. So like 2017, I, I think I had the, that was my NSAIDs year where like trying to deal with my ankle, my heart didn't work. So 16, 17, 18, it started to come around again. And, and things were actually like, my ankle worked, didn't take NSAIDs, heart was good. <laughs> Did you ever think 
you might not, it might be the end. Oh yeah. Oh, and I, and then you like, look at like, I'm definitely, I like to call it my second overtime, right? Like why the hell do I even race? Like, I don't have to do any of this, right? My sponsorship is like, like I'm lucky to have any, but certainly like the only reason I really like, like racing right now is that it's helping me to learn more about the sport, right? I just feel like in terms of my overall experience, like it, I think it's really good as a coach now because and the athletes that come to me tend to be like Ironman athletes that want to try something off-road or gravel or off-road or gravel athletes that want to do something sort of Ironman. And like they, I, I can just really relate to them, right? Wherever they've come from, because I've done all of it. I've done the World Cup mountain biking. I've done the multi-day races. I've done the big, huge one-day races. I've done road racing and the world's done all the Xterra stuff done some of the ITU stuff, not much, but I also don't really have a squad that would support an ITU athlete. So it's not like, I just, I'm not exactly the right coach for an ITU athlete anyways. But then if you get an Ironman athlete, like I do, like, like I have a lot of experience in that and I'm starting to get pretty good about like learning about how other athletes um, develop the ability to be good at Ironman. But if there's anything that I could learn more about, it it would be more, right? Like it would be doing more Ironmans or like being in the sport longer or um, like learning a little bit more specifically about Kona. Because I have one athlete that um, like I have coached who's gone to Kona and um, and that's not much, right? Like I'd like to have more <laughs> and I'd like it one to be me because I, I, as much as like coaching yourself is not the same as coaching someone else you absorb a lot of experience by experiencing and coaching is education and experience. And so you, you need some experience that's actually like experiencing through someone else. And then like actually experienced by being somewhere and doing something is powerful as long as you can communicate what you've learned from that experience. So not everybody is going to be a great coach because they went to the world championships or they were a great athlete. But people that have gone to the world championships or have become a great athlete have a wealth of experience on, on racing at that level to help athletes that want to race at that level. And then potentially they, that experience can be um, extrapolated to where other people are, right? Just like that, that's the whole thing is understanding. Um, so I, 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 the, the whole idea to keep going was more that I don't know everything yet. I need to stay <laughs> longer. I don't know. I like, I thought about like, I, I like I, I built um, the squad up during that time because I was like, maybe I'm done. Maybe, maybe my body's telling me something. Maybe I don't have the heart for this. Um, maybe I don't want to go back. And, um, and then I just kind of got in shape and was like, ah, oh, what the hell? Let's just go to another race, see what happens. And then, you know, all of a sudden, like I, at the end of 2017, I, um actually before that second AFib thing I won that world championships in 2017 so I guess I, I think that was sort of it's hard to let go right when you're still doing <laughs> and you still and, and I, I've I think, seen you since then I mean I, I watched you in 2019 blow by me on the bike in Coeur d'Alene and you're riding with like Heather Wortel Marinda Carfrey like top top people in the sport I think did you come off first off the bike in that race uh, no, I there. there's a group. Yeah, there's a group. Yeah, there's a group there. Yeah. But I, I'm, yeah. So that's pretty cool. Are you, are you happy that you didn't, you didn't call it quits during that time? Yeah. And, and, and I, yeah, because it would have been just giving up because it got hard. 
and and I'll, I'll like I'll be honest like I I have been extremely fortunate that like I've had like I had a run up to 2016 where I didn't have an injury or an incident that like took me out for longer than you know like maybe a month you know I've never lost a whole like 2016 was a lost season like I sucked that whole year I might have been at races but I was not in races I was finishing races for contracts 2017 I had some hard stuff to like deal with so I had some adversity like that was physical and and I was just really fortunate through my whole career to not have much of that I was like it either I was pretty smart about not doing too much or I was lucky or a combination of the two um and I think having those experiences like coming back from coming back from my ankle was probably the most meaningful education for me as a coach because I've never had to learn to run from not having any ability to run at all like when your ankle is uh, like running starts from the ground up and when you have shattered your ankle and you have no bounce off the ground and you have to like learn how to recreate that um that was a, a like a massive education for me as a as a running coach and for myself and it, it kicked off a really a journey in learning how to teach people how to run learning how to coach people how to run because you know if you come from just like, oh yeah, running, you know, and you're, and you're quite like durable and like versatile, you just kind of like do workouts and they make you fast. Right. But if, if people can't do workouts because they can't stay healthy because they actually physically can't run, then no programming is ever going to work. And so it, it really, it, it changed a lot how I approach coaching people. And, and I'm really thankful that I had that experience and I, I know what it's like to have no bounce off the ground at all. So, um, yeah, so that 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 was good. And and I I also think that the I I went through that phase where like people were like, "Oh, you're 40 and you're going to do an Ironman or whatever the the word the wording was like when I did my first one cuz 2015 I would have been 42, right? And so the language back then was, "Oh, you're going to turn you're turning 42 and this is your first Ironman." It was like all about like how old I was, right? And at the time I was really self-conscious about it. Like like I I think I think sometimes like when I'm really self-conscious about something, I can be like over, like I, I over joke about something or like hide it by joking or like being overconfident or whatever, but really inside I'm dying, right? Like at the time I was dying. Oh my God, I'm 42. I'm so done. Like I'm, I'm finished. Like, and then it, it, it took like some good results to kind of go, okay, well maybe I'm not as done as I thought, you know, but at the time I was struggled, I struggled with it. And then I went through that whole phase of like, you're, you're 40, you're 41, you're 42, you're 43 and you're injured, you're 44 and your heart doesn't work, you know? So I went through all of this, like, okay, you're just old, you need to retire now. And then I turned 45, then I won a world championships, then I turned 46 and I started like running faster at Ironman. So then I turned 47, I was like second at an Ironman. Like, so then I, now I'm like vintage, right? I'm like getting super old. So now it's not like you're old, you need to retire. Now it's like, oh, you're so precious. We need to keep you in the sport now. Like, cause you know, you're all of a sudden, like you're so old, it's cool again, you know? <laughs> so, so now it's easier. Cause it's like, I'm vintage cool now. I'm not just old, I'm like antique old. <laughs> so that's really, <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty funny. I bet it, we could also have you bring back maybe some of the old styles and things like that. I mean, that surely could like come back around too. So I'm sure there will be people out there. But Mel, I do want to talk to you about something because people can clearly hear how passionate you are about coaching and women and coaching. But hand in hand with that, 
um, is another concept that you're very vocal and passionate about, which is women supporting women and getting equality in sport. And as one of the longest standing competitors, was this something that like, you know, has always come naturally to you or was it kind of a skill you had to develop? Because like, you know, listening to you talk about people kind of asking you even about your age and you're saying on the inside I was dying, but like on the outside, you weren't really showing that. Right. So is that like advocacy part of you and, you know, the ability to stand up and say what you believe in and what you think is right for women in the sport, something that also you've had to develop in that way? Yeah, I I think, I think that when I was younger, I I certainly had a lot, like, especially in, in, in cycling, like there's a, there was a, I, I don't know what it's like particularly on teams now, but for sure when I was first on the national team, there would be um there would be like the top girl and then all the rest of us were domestiques and like whatever she wanted went and we were all like unimportant and it was kind of like you know, there's a hierarchy. And and so what this hierarchy creates is not like a like a, a really strong team environment. It's a like I want her job. I don't want to be the person underneath. And and that's what happens in any kind of like, like structure, like business structure, right? If you have a giant CEO and a bunch of like worker bees that feel like they're not really benefiting from like the overall success of a company, how hard do you think they're going to work? Right. Or like, they're just going to want it. They're not going to be really liking that person up there. And, and so when I was younger, I was always like, okay, well you have to like, you just have to be the best because there's only one job. And that, and that's kind of what it was like, you know, it, it, if, if I don't beat her, then she's going to get the spot on the team and she's going to get the contract and she's going to get. So like, it was always like adversarial instead of like the, okay, if we all get really good, then everybody succeeds. Right. Where, and then, and then also the, if we all like work together, then this whole experience is going to be a lot more positive, And then we're all just going to have better lives as a result, which is more what I see now that, you know, it, I think it happened in mountain biking right around when mountain biking kind of tanked in North America, where it was like, first off, when, when Allison and I would like, when I was racing in the late nineties, like there was big, big contracts for mountain biking, prize money for races. It was awesome. Like it was just solid days of mountain biking. And then um, mountain biking kind of went downhill. And so at that time, uh, there was a lot more privateers where athletes had to, you know, fund their own sort of traveling and racing. And what happens it happened then was, there wasn't like big super sponsored girls and like girls who were like, you know, just paying your own way to get to a world cup. It was all of a sudden everybody's paying their own way to a world cup. So they were, they were, they were basically grouping up together. Let's travel together. Let's share a van. Let's do all this stuff. And then all of a sudden the, the climate in terms of like the women's field became a lot more positive as a result, right? Cause everybody's in it together. Like nobody's like sucks for everybody. So let's all make the best of it. Cause we really wanted to do this sport. And, um, and so I saw that I saw like, I could even, you know, and then at the time you could also see like more of the social media and the interaction between these girls. And it definitely wasn't what I was used to when I was racing and that like, I was trying to come up and nobody was really like trying to help me, but they probably weren't because like, I was like this little, little shit that was trying to take their job. Right. <laughs> so, so then you fast forward to when you're, when you're older and you have, accomplished something and you realize or like you've accomplished like your goal and you realize that like that goal itself wasn't all that it was more the like trying to achieve that goal and having and like coming to that realization like like 
I think that I, I probably had a lot more friends and people happy for me the third time I won than the first time I won. Because the first time I was like, I'm going to win this. It was all like brash confidence and cocky arrogance, you know, because and, and it was good for TV because they like they love this like rivalry between me and Jamie. But being cocky and confident like that, like is not is, is, isn't the way to win friends and influence people right? Like, it, it's better for you to like, share the experience with everyone. And, and not long after that race, I realized, you know, okay, I want to have friends here. This is I want to do this just my life. And, and um, I think year over year, I've just gotten more and more that that it's more about the experience than the, the outcome of the race. And um, sure, I'm going to go there, like, I'm here to like race, like, I'm not going to just Oh, let's talk while we're on the bike. You know, it's not how I race. But after, um, I really always wanted to be part of like the socialization, and and um, and I think that like trying to to send that message to other athletes that like it you you, you can everybody improves if you like you you bring everyone with you, and I think that um, it's just it's sometimes hard when when you you get over focused on comparison to one other person, you know, like, or, or just the comparison part. It's, it's more like, um, it's, it's hard to explain the, the difference between like comparison in a, in a judgment way and a comparison in a motivation way. Right. So you can, you can, like, I can go to the pool and like, train my heart out and try and keep up with people and like walk away if it was a crap day and be like, okay, it doesn't just mean I'm a bad person. Cause I couldn't keep up today or, or, and I like, I'll be happy for that other person. Whereas like you can go into that same experience and go, Oh, if I don't keep up, then I don't measure up and it's over. Right. It's that whole making a catastrophe out of nothing that, that we do more when we're younger than when we're older. Cause we realize that, you know, you can have a sum of moments that, um, aren't necessarily all, okay, I'm a world champion today. I'm a world champion today. I'm a world champion today. Like you can have a whole, you could basically have a whole year of like just basically subpar performances and still actually have an excellent day at the race. Like you don't have to be on every day. And um, what happens when you're younger is you think you have to be on and you have to win everything all the time. And then that is unhealthy for relationships with other people, right? So I think and that's what it is. I want to ask one last question because I know you've been so generous with your time, but um, speaking of this kind of goes along with the rankings and comparison, the big race that is possibly happening in 2020 is the PTO funded challenge Daytona. You are ranked, I believe 66, sixth off of a great 2019, you're ranked 66 in the women's field. They took the top 40 automatically. They gave some wild cards. Now I think they're giving um, eight more like invitations. Uh, I don't know exactly what like the like travel situation is from from Canada to uh, Daytona, but what are your thoughts on that? Would you would you take a slot if you were given one, or um, would you say uh, not not this year? Well, it's funny because like when I didn't think there was a chance I could get a spot, it was pretty easy for me to say, yeah, no, I I don't think that it makes sense. If Canada is keeping the borders shut, I don't think me traveling to Florida of all states um, is, you know, 
part of being a responsible Canadian, like to go and travel to that place and potentially bring it back. And then I got an, an email saying that, you know, I'm right on the bubble now. So like there was a chance. Right. And so then all of a sudden I go into this tailspin. I'm thinking, Mike, oh, this big race, all this money. And he's again, like, what's changed? You know, it's I, I think that I, I don't judge anybody else that wants to go there. And it is a lot of money. I just don't think it's the right thing to do this year. Like, I don't I don't think anybody should be encouraged to travel outside of their district to do big races. I just and I understand that we have to, like, kickstart the economy and all this kind of stuff. But I don't think international travel makes any sense at the moment. So for me, that's because that's what I think. I wouldn't take it. I don't I'm not going to go. I I wouldn't even travel to Toronto earlier this year for the pro triathlon race. Because I felt like even that, like at that traveling within provinces in Canada was not, um, you know, was just not being responsible. But that being said, I I also coach. I have I make a, a lot more of my income from coaching. Like I did make money being a virtual racer this year. <laughs> so it's not like I don't make any money as a professional athlete, but I don't rely on that money. And so I like, so I'm not going to judge athletes that rely on that money to survive. Um, And I also just feel like for me, we just, it comes down to why am I still racing? Right. And I'm not still racing so that I can go and win a bunch of money at a weird race in Florida. I'm still racing because I'd like to have a faster marathon than I've ever run before and qualify for Kona. And that, and those like under underlying goals still are the only things that really motivate me you know, so Florida isn't motivating. So no, I wouldn't go. (laughs) Well, Mel, thank you so much for your time today. I think we could have like 12 more episodes with you and (laughs) ask you about like all these other facets of your life that we are interested in. But we we thank you for the time you did share with us. And our fingers are crossed for you that 2021 can be a better racing season. And you can go out there, get that Kona qualification and kind of, you know, finish that bookend as well. So I'm sure all our listeners will be watching for that. Yeah, we'll see. Well, thank you so much. It was so great to see you guys and talk to you guys today. Haley, do you know what I'm doing when I'm feeling kind of down? What do you do, Alyssa? I go to gooder.com forward slash feisty, the live feisty curated collection on the Gooder sunglasses website. And I read the fun names of all the sunglasses. Ooh, do you have a current favorite? I think today I'm going with Kitty Hawker's Ray Blockers. Oh, nice pick from the new Mach G line. Going for a run in a pair of teal aviators would make me so happy right now. Happiness really might be a pair of no slip, no bounce, polarized sunglasses in fun colors with a fun name. Happiness is also sunglasses that start at just $25 a pair. So all of our listeners should go to gooder.com forward slash feisty to see our favorites and find their own. That's G-O-O-D-R dot com forward slash F-E-I-S-T-Y. Be sure to check out the virtual try-on feature while you're there. And of course, look good, run gooder. Alyssa, you will not believe who just bought an Orca wetsuit. Ooh, tell me. My dad. No way. I didn't even realize your dad was a swimmer. It's news to me too, but really nothing surprises me these days. I think he really liked the high visibility orange sleeves on the Orca open water core wetsuit. So with the Iron Woman 15 discount code, he ordered one from orca.com and spent less than $150. 
That's a great deal. If any of our listeners want to be like Haley's dad, check out the full line of wetsuits and gear for open water swimming, triathlon, and even swim run at orca.com and use that Ironwomen15 code for 15% off. Alyssa, right after we finished recording with Mel, she emailed and said that she actually did receive an invitation to race at Challenge Daytona. She thought about it and ultimately decided not to travel to Florida for that race. So we will have to be waiting until 2021 to see more Mel McQuaid out on the road and or on the trails. And I'm, I'm sure it'll be worth the wait. I'm glad she sent us this up that update and of course you you know we respect and support all athletes decisions with their racing plans these days so um all the best to Mel it was really fun to catch up and you know yeah we'll be waiting till 2021 to see where she where she races and Alyssa good luck to you with your mountain biking good luck to you at the outspoken Women in Triathlon Awards this weekend. Again, Sunday, OutspokenSummit.com forward slash awards. If you want to see what Alyssa's wearing in case she does win, it's going to be a good time. But uh, have an excellent week and weekend, and I will talk to you next week. Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Zelio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Orca Sportswear, Gooder Sunglasses, as well as our Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find all website links and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com. Listener.